step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Welcome to Northwest Prime, bringing Seattle to the world and the world to Seattle. I'm your host, Lori Ness a soldier on the front line of the mainstream. You can listen to this and other shows at northwestprime.com and be sure to stay with Seattle Wave Radio 24-7, 365 for more great music and interviews. We're starting a movement of kindness and we want you to join us. Let's get this show started. Morgan and Jennifer Locklear are the husband and wife dynamic writing duo who released their romantic comedy novel, Exposure. I talked with Morgan and Jennifer when Exposure was just barely released, and we're going to catch up with them again and see if they've had time to let all this uh, sink in. So hi, Morgan and Jen. How's it going? Good. Hi, Lori. It's, I'm happy to have you guys back. A lot's oh, been going we- on. I feel like Alec Baldwin hosting Saturday Night Live for the fifth time in a row. Maybe I should have said Steve Martin. Maybe that would have been a better one. <laughs> well, the, the the last time we spoke, Exposure was just, it was just coming out. I, I think it was actually coming out on that day. So a lot's gone on. You guys have been very busy. I've seen you all over social media. Some months have gone by. What's the experience been like for you? Oh, gosh. Jennifer, why don't you start with the um, what it's been like online? I know you've really been instrumental in keeping track of all the blogs that have interviewed us and talked about exposure. Why don't you take that one? Oh, sure. Um, it's been great, actually. I mean, the, like you said, the book came out in June, and so we're coming up basically on the six-month mark of, of the release, and I've been nonstop busy. I, <laughs> I meet new bloggers every day online. Um, and, and what's been really neat is seeing um, more than just the people that we already knew picking up the book and giving it a read and letting us know what we think. It, it's being, you know, being able to expand out uh, beyond our own circle and come into contact with so many people from all over the world. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, I would have to agree. I, I just saw that you were tweeting out that you were packaging up books that were going to like Europe and South America. So you're getting a lot of readers internationally. Yeah, it's great. I've got a package going to Germany, another one to Poland, one to Venezuela, and that's just this week. So yeah, and and the blogs are are all over the the country as well, and all over the globe. Actually, mm-hmm. uh, what Jennifer had said, how you know the first month or so. It was really all the people that we knew, people that we had met uh, for the last several years online. Um, they were getting the book and reviewing it. But now in the six-month mark, we're seeing so many blogs and reviewers and readers, and we don't even have any friends in common with them. You know how you, you go to Facebook or whatever, it'll tell you how many friends you have. Well, they'll be like zero. And we're like, <laughs> wow, this is obviously the book having a bigger reach than we mm-hmm. as authors have, which is kind of the goal. Mm-hmm. It's kind of what you want eventually is that your book will will reach beyond what you can possibly promote. Absolutely. Well, one thing kind of leads to another, and you don't really know where the connection's ever going to come from. And so you just keep doing what you're doing. You keep doing your interviews. You keep reaching out to the blogs. You keep doing the radio interviews. You keep doing the social media. And all of a sudden, just just connections will start happening that you know, you didn't even, like you said, don't even know where they're even coming from. So it ends up being a very small world in the end. Exactly. And the reaction that we're getting to the book, I think, is a little bit different than, than what we were expecting. Um, I can tell you that myself, I was positive that the idea of us being a husband and wife writing couple and and coming out with our debut novel, which had a lot of steamy parts to it. And you know, the idea of a husband and wife writing that, I thought, would be very titillating, and it would really um, uh, garner a lot of reaction. And although people have brought it up, 
most of the reviews are focused on completely different aspects of the book than I thought they were going to be focused on. And that's been really fun to see how people respond. Wouldn't you say, Jen? Yeah, I think uh, for me, I've, I've been really happy to see how people are responding to the humor in the book, which we kind of thought was kind of this side element. You know, we just kind of worked it in when we could, but yeah. people have been really responsive. It, that. That's a perfect example, babe. So many of the reviews are basically pr- practically calling this book a comedy. Um, and I know there are a lot of great jokes, and we really wanted humor in it, but we didn't ever we certainly weren't marketing it as a romantic comedy. Um, I think there's there's a lot of steam in it and, and whatnot, but it, I don't know, it seemed more well-rounded to me, but people are really responding to the humor, and they're also really responding to our villain, Kyle Peterson. Uh, mm-hmm. People love to hate that guy. <laughs> so that's those have been two really nice surprises that have come about. How does that affect you now going forward, knowing that this is kind of a direction your audience is kind of pushing you towards when that wasn't kind of what your target was in the beginning? Yeah, it has. It has affected. How has it affected us? Let's see. Um, Definitely, you know, it's funny because we're still encouraged to push the erotica side. Um, I know that uh, there are plenty of people that really still view the book as romance and erotica. And Jennifer and I, since we, we felt that it's a you know again such a good balance of everything that you really couldn't assign it one particular label. But now that people have, that the people have really glommed onto the Hollywood aspect. They love the insider look at Hollywood, and they love the humor. We have been. Uh, well, of course, we've been answering a lot more questions that deal with that side of it. And so when we first initially respond to people's inquiries or, you know, we're um, meeting new book bloggers, we're definitely volunteering more information about the Hollywood stuff and the humor because, yeah, it, like you said, it's just what the direction has been taking us. Mm-hmm. Well, it also reflects a lot of your personality because both of you are very funny you both have a great sense of humor so there's a lot of your your soul kind of comes through as a writer in these books anyway and then this is just one layer of your personality that just really comes out you know like Jen was saying you didn't really necessarily mean for it to be funny but you guys look at at life in kind of a a humorous way and so I'm I'm not at all all surprised that that your characters at times would also kind of have that that same view on life as 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 you guys do yeah what do you think Jen well, yeah, I can't hide the snark. It comes out. Right, right. It's funny because um, a lot of the times if the narrator was being funny, uh, you know, the voice of the book was making a, a wry or pithy observation, that would usually come from Jennifer. And uh, I tended to um, infuse the characters with a lot of funny observations or dialogue or character traits or, or things like that. I, uh, I I tend to think that if you're going to put humor in a book, um, it's definitely like... I wanted to say chocolate, but I think there's not, there's never too much chocolate. So it's like uh, the cherry on top of the chocolate sundae. <laughs> the, you know, it, a little goes a long ways, and especially if you've just got a book where only the narrator is funny or only one character is funny, then I, I think it kind of skews the book in, in the wrong way. But if you've got kind of both, where, where you're firing on two cylinders, I, I suppose, and I think I, I think at least. Once per chapter, I wanted to smile. I wanted to see something in there that made sure the reader wasn't taking the book too seriously, made sure we weren't taking the book too seriously. Uh, even though there's some real drama, um, not life and death, but you know, some real career-rending type of dramatic moments that we wanted to really offset that. And uh, clearly I'm getting a nickel for every time I say the word balance, but we wanted to balance it as well. I think I've said before on an interview with you that we were very selfish. We wanted to have our cake and eat it too. We didn't want the book to fall into any one category. So we just smeared the paint everywhere and did a little bit of everything. And we were so lucky to have a publisher that didn't force us to pick one side said, look, you can't be super, super sexy and steamy and then have some jokey stuff. They didn't force us to, to cut one or the other out. They, they liked what we liked, that you could kind of have a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and they were really smart to be able to give you that freedom because 
that that was really the the home run with, with the audience. That was what you weren't kind of expecting when you stepped up to bat, but that's what kind of hit it out of the park and gave it that little extra um, identity into itself that other books didn't have was that little snarkiness and that little humor uh, that readers just really fell in love with and that they um, wanted more of and found so enjoyable. And it's just kind of funny how, how when we start down um, a path, a lot of times we think it's going to look one way and then it ends up looking completely different, but, but better or than, than to what a we did in different thought. location. And Jennifer, why do, I was going to have Jennifer mention something about um, the, the genre right now. There's a lot of angst. Mm -hmm. um, and I think one of the reasons why we tried to stay funny was we were trying to avoid certain traps that we've seen in other books in the romantic comedy or erotica genre. What do you think, Jennifer? I know that you especially were interested in not having characters that were stupid and making miscommunication errors the crux of the book, which I think you and I both hate, but are there any other things that you can think of um, that we were really trying to sidestep, and that's kind of where the humor came out of? Um, well, I didn't think the story, the plot, of the, the plot of the story really lended itself to a lot of angst. I mean, you could have a lot of um, more serious moments, certainly, and you could build suspense. But really, when you step back and look at the overall plot, it just didn't lend itself to anything quite that dark. Right. So, and I think in writing this, um, you know, we were we were just kind of trying to see where where we fit. I mean, we wanted to offer some drama. We wanted to offer some comedy. We definitely wanted to offer some romance. And and we tried on a lot of different hats, I think, with this book and, and now feel a little more confident about tried where on, we're comfortable. Tried with. on a lot of pair of pantyhose. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I know that Jen had um, a, a lot of experience working with Sylvain Raynard and, and his books prior to releasing your own. And you were very involved in, in helping push those books that were very, very successful. But when it's your own book, though, Jen... Was there, you know, was it, was it different? Was it, you know, I mean, you had all this experience. So were, were you thinking, I got it. I know how this, you know, I've, I, I've been to this prom before or when it's your own, is it, is it something different? Like, like, like babysitting someone else's child almost, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, yeah, you, 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 I, you feel I, that pressure with someone else. No, yeah, I think in some way uh, with my involvement with Argyle Empire, you know, I feel a little braver in, in promoting a book I didn't write. You know, when I'm trying to toot my own horn, that's a little more of a challenge. I think there's also certain no-nos. You know, when you're promoting your own book, you can't quite be as aggressive. I don't think you can be quite mm -hmm. as aggressive as if it was an outside party. For instance... Filling everyone's timeline on Twitter with links to your Amazon account every 35 seconds <laughs> is a really good way to get unfollowed and not a good way to sell a book. I mm -hmm. think there's a, a real fine line you have to walk. In fact, I was uh, talking with Jennifer. We're both working on uh, solo books right now. And I was talking to her about how excited I was because when she comes out with her own book, I can be far more aggressive promoting her book than I was promoting our book. Uh, again, mm -hmm. still avoiding those no-nos. I don't think... It's in any author's best interest to enter social media with only the purpose of selling their book. You need to make friends. You need to go out and engage with social media and be a part of the universe that it, that's out there. And then in the midst of all that, then, you know, you promote your book a little bit. You promote other authors as much as you possibly can. You join in the fun. I think it's the people who keep their hands out of all the dirty stuff you know, and just just stick with their own. Well, not that promoting other authors is, well it depends on the author. <laughs> <laughs> well, also you have to kind of get over the the hump. I, I don't know if your timeline looks like my timeline, but but my timeline is really filled with a lot of Fifty Shades promotion. We have the movie coming out, and we have you know a new book cover, and there's always something kind of going on. So how do you kind of get over that? noise so to speak that's going in with this 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 fandom that's so gigantic that kind of also blurs in into your fandom because those are really you know a lot of your people are are, are those readers um are your readers but how how do you 
grasp their attention when when there's so much of that going on because it's really a almost an uphill climb. Go ahead. I can tell we both have something to say. <laughs> I think for for me personally, I, I've just been I've spent a lot of the last few years just being real focused on making personal connections with people and having conversations with them and not necessarily making it all about the writing, but when the when it when the conversation lends itself to talk about the book or or um, other people's writings or whatever, I'm I'm more than happy to do that. But I, I really think beyond that, um, in order to stand above the white noise, you do have to reach out to people and, and make a connection with them. And as far mm-hmm. as um, the Fifty Shades of Grey is a great example, we are extremely fortunate that a lot of the Fifty Shades of Grey uh, moderators of tweet, Twitter accounts and websites and even E.L. James herself have been supportive of our book. So our timeline is filled with Fifty Shades promotion, but you've got some of those people who are following the same rules we are, that that aren't there just to promote their one thing, but are trying to celebrate all writing and all artists. And several of those people have uh, taken the time to tweet or write about exposure. And so to me, I think just, just jumping in with both feet and being as involved with everything you can is really the best way to stay above it. It seems weird. You're not really staying above the white noise. You're, you're jumping right into it. I, I, I think it's hard, very, very hard to jump above it. Uh, I brought up right at the beginning of this interview how I thought being a husband and wife writing team would uh, um, have gotten more um, more air, not airplay, more lip service and reviews. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, by that time they're really involved in the book and the story, and they almost forget who wrote it, which is great. But I think... The way to rise above the white noise is to offer anything different. Uh, a well-written book that's got some people humping in it, psh, there's a lot of those. Okay, mm-hmm. what else can you do? How about a well-written book that takes place in Hollywood uh, and doesn't assume that the reader is going to fall for a story where if a two-minute conversation between the main characters would just happen – then the whole story would di- unravel and disappear because they just weren't talking to each other. That that the story itself was a real piece of drama that lended the uh, characters to have to fight through something. And instead of our characters fighting each other, they fought together in outside influence. And um, it, two things happen there, I think. A, it helps the reader get to know the characters more because they see them in, in loving relationships and having really great dialogue and they're not fighting all the time. And also, I think that it's more relatable. I think that we all in our lives deal with a lot of external influences that that, uh, subjugate us to things we might not want to be exposed to. And so I think it just it makes it easier for the readers to say, wow, you know, this could happen to anybody. Even the even the fact that the main characters in the story, by the end of it, most of them are millionaires, either beginning, middle or end. Uh, but yet somehow you feel like they could still be someone that you like. And that this is this is another thing that we catch in the reviews all the time. And we we obviously you, you want to write a book and you want your characters to be relatable, but you can't exactly say to a book blog, read our book, the characters are relatable. <laughs> but sure enough, when someone reads a book and they can connect with the characters, it's one of the first things that pops out of their keyboard when they're reviewing is, wow, the characters are really relatable. And so... We were very delighted that all of those little goals that we set for ourselves during the course of writing the book uh, had been met, and that we didn't really hear about it until you know now, six months later, we're we're getting the reinforcement, the encouragement that we we were really hoping for. Well, that brings me to to my next point, and that is how important are reviews? Wow, that's a great question, a really great question. Um, Here's, here's my take on it. In terms of the writing world right now, Amazon has a lot of power. Um, authors are ranked through Amazon. It's, it's pretty much the, the tool that the rest of the world uses. And so that, that means that if you're a reader and you want to thank a writer for writing a book, the best thing you can do for that writer is to leave a review on Amazon. So it's not just about reviews. It's about a review in a specific location. Um, Now, any other reviews, like say Goodreads, 
those are great to get because they're very encouraging. They give your, you know, your book has an average rating. And so, you know, you want to see that. It helps people, I think, make a decision if they're, you know, they're looking for a book and they see that the book's got an over four-star rating on average. They're going to say, oh, okay, okay, that's good. Most people seem to like it. Uh, So the reviews are helpful to other readers in finding your book and, and seeing if it's for them. They're helpful for the authors because it really encourages authors. Obviously, it's great to get patted on the head or patted on the back. But there is this one really sincerely serious side of it, and that is that because fiction is largely driven, and I know it's sometimes controversial, six months ago when the book came out, there was a lot of press about Amazon and, you know, is it a Ma Bell situation or, you know, is is it unfairly... um, um, representative of an author's success and you know jennifer and i really get involved in that we just look at it and say look it is what it is this is where people are getting most of their information and so we it's funny it's not so much that we've been trying to get people to review our book on amazon but ever since our book came out and we learned that we have been going back and reviewing all of our favorite books on amazon because we Mm -hmm. now know how much it means to other authors Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. We know good or bad, Amazon for books is kind of like what iTunes is for music. And oh, it's, well just, yes. it, it's just very easy for somebody because everyone has a Kindle. Even if you don't have the Kindle, if you have an iPad, you can get a Kindle app. So one way or another, yep. you have a Kindle. So you can go right to Amazon and then you just click on the book and then it's downloaded immediately to your, your device. And it's just, it's all about you know, the path of least resistance or being lazy or, or, or finding right, the most right. easiest way. And, and Amazon really is really good at that. Now, what I'm not happy with them about is the same thing with iTunes is that they're cut to the artist, whether that be music or writing or whatever is that they take a huge cut out of that. And I, I you know, I've always wished there was an, another avenue um, to send people to, but they always default back to the easiest one, and yeah, yeah. that being Amazon or or, or iTunes, it it, it appears. Yeah. And so yeah, and we you know we're not interested in fighting that battle. We mm-hmm. we use Amazon. We used it way before we ever became authors. We we've both been readers our whole lives. Uh, I remember uh, I didn't read a lot because I'm legally blind, and uh, it's interesting as I get older. My eyesight doesn't get better, but my brain gets better, and I'm able to deal with it a lot easier. So I, uh, when I was a kid, I only read books on tape. And then when I got into high school and college, I started just reading normally books like normal people do. And now I read just about as fast as Jennifer, and we both just go with <laughs> her books all the time. And, and because we're such fans of novels in general, I think that it's helped us as writers when we're approaching a book, we we know what we want in a book. Uh, more importantly, we know what we don't want in a book, and we're able to avoid all of those pitfalls and things that annoy us in other fiction. Is is exposure available on audiobook, or will it be available on audiobook? Do you know? Um, it it is not available on audiobook, and I I don't know that it will be anytime soon. But if it does, we've already <laughs> got an email out to uh, Jerry Lewis. Exposure! <laughs> hey, lady! What we, what we really want is like Krusty the Clown to read our book. Like some really... <laughs> just something totally memorable. <laughs> well, you know, I guess Morgan... We can go, with, I guess we can go ahead, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say, you, you, you talked about that, that you guys had been reading, really, you've been readers forever. Do, do, do both of you remember what the first book was that really made an impression on you? Uh, I do. Jen, do you want to go? You, I've been talking a you, lot. You go first. I might have to think about it. The first book that made an impression on me was a book called The Long Walk by, uh, by Richard Bachman. Now, of course, it was later discovered that Richard Bachman was, in fact, Stephen King, and Stephen King had written this, I'd say book, it's really a short book. Uh, it, it can't be more than, oh God, it's like a novella, like 35,000 words maybe. And he wrote it when he was in college. So he's about 20 years old when he wrote the book, and he didn't uh, release it until much, much later. He'd already had fame. But this book was written in first person, yet I was so scared 
for the life of the narrator who was involved in this very life and death situation. And I couldn't get over the fact that here I was, I knew full well that he couldn't die, otherwise the story would stop getting told. (laughs) So I knew he had to make it to the end, but I was so scared for him. And remember, I'm listening to it on tape. And uh, so when you're reading a book, you can kind of control the speed at which the information is coming at you. When you're listening to a book on tape and you're starting to get nervous and scared, sometimes you can't run across the room and turn that crap off fast enough so you can (laughs) take a breath. And I remember running across my room and turning it off so I could just think for a minute. And I thought, wow, I cannot believe that this book just affected me so powerfully, especially when I know darn well that it's, there's nothing to be scared of. Mm-hmm. And I've never forgotten that. And uh, Jennifer, of course, when I met her and I told her that I was a Stephen King fan, she read the book It to me. I was sick. And she, she came to my house and read for about a week. We got probably only, what, two chapters into a book that big. Yeah. But she read the book It to me, and then we started enjoying books together. So we each read books separately, of course. We each write our own books separately, but on occasion we write a book together, Exposure being our favorite of the lot, which is why we sought to have that one published first. And we also read together. Right now we're reading the Outlander series as a couple. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. Jennifer, uh, usually, uh, we used to do a lot better. Now we've really slowed down, haven't we, babe? There just isn't as much free time. I know, right? (laughs) We're so busy now. We started reading before we ever started writing books, and now our our own fiction has really taken a lot of our time. But we still find, at least on Saturdays, um, we'll go to bed at like 10, and we'll read for 90 minutes until Saturday Night Live comes on. And sometimes during the week we'll read, you know, other times as well. But it's such a fun thing to do as a couple, and it really keeps us, I think, focused, and it keeps us involved in the art. I think every author Mm -hmm. should make time to read. I I like to think of it as you're borrowing from a well of words, and the only way to refill that well is to read more books. Um, Not to write more books, to read more books is the only way you can fill up your well, and then you can draw from it. Uh, and, and, and start writing yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. Jennifer, you remember the first book that made an impression on you? Well, I, I, always, I always read stuff in school, you know, and um, I was always in the habit of reading, but I think the first time I really connected with the novel would have to be Stephen King's It. And, <laughs> and it was before I met Morgan, but right. we were on, my, I was on vacation with my family, and I was, um, I had been off somewhere doing something and my parents were off somewhere doing something else and I got back to the hotel before they did and my mom was reading the book and I had nothing better to do so I picked it up and started it and then she and I basically spent the whole rest of the vacation fighting with one another about whose turn it was to read. Were there two bookmarks involved? I, I, I I'm just remember. curious. Like, that was a long time ago. Did you ever surpass her? Uh, yeah, I think eventually. You finished and, it first? And what I was just thinking about a minute ago was why it never occurred to either one of us to just go get a second copy. But <laughs> I'm sure Mr. King would appreciate that. Instead, we just, like, duked it out at home for the better part of six months. Well, the book weighs six pounds. It's huge. <laughs> and then I read it out loud to you, which was yeah. no small feat. I think it took us months to do that. Oh, my gosh. You know what, you guys? I need to backtrack. Uh, although Long Walk scared me, honestly, if we're going to, you know, we're sitting here on the radio talking about books. I really have to do a shout out to another book that affected me so much that it was the first book I read to my son. And when my daughter uh, hits fifth grade, I'm going to read it to her. Uh, everyone's familiar with an author, usually familiar with an author named Roald Dahl. And he wrote Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and James and the Giant Peach. And uh, what else did he write? Well, the one, that, the one that I want to talk about is he wrote a book called Danny, the Champion of the World. And it's not near as Alice in Wonderland as his other books. It's a simple story about uh, England and a, a, a father who runs a filling station, and he's a pheasant hunter. He poaches pheasants. And his son, Danny, who basically goes and rescues him in the king's forest when his dad never comes home one night. And it is a magical book about a parent and a child and about the child discovering that they have courage and power and wisdom and strength, even at a young age, at like 10 or 11. 
and uh, so I, I was read that book in fifth grade. My whole class was read that book, and I never forgot it. When my son turned, uh, well, I guess 12 or 11. I think he was 10. 10, was he? Yeah. Oh, that means I can go with the little one then. Good. Well, so I, I read it to him, and he now cites this book as one of the most influential books he's ever read or had read to him. So I knew I was on the right track, and my daughter is going to turn 10 in a couple of months, and I think that I'm going to want to read it to her as well. It's even more than The Long Walk. I think Roald Dahl's Danny the Champion of the World is one of the finest pieces of fiction that has ever been published, and I would encourage anyone listening uh, to pick it up, especially if you're a parent, and especially if you're looking for a great way to connect with your kids. It's a short book. It's very family-friendly, and uh, it, it makes my heart swell just thinking about it. Yeah, I was mm-hmm. amazed that you didn't pick that to begin with. I, yeah, I know, you were were you? for you to say that. Were you, you're, <laughs> I couldn't believe I didn't mean them. A long walk, long walk, and then you start talk, talk, talking about it. Yeah. I was like... Son of a gun! <laughs> the champion of the world. I mean, I hoard copies of that book. I go on eBay and just buy paperback after paperback, so when I I can give it you, to people. You, you, I was gonna say you gotta leave some for the other people. <laughs> no, I have given away at least a dozen copies of that book just because I can get it cheap and give it away. And you know, four or five dollars for a book is nothing compared to the value that's within those pages. Well, that is really, really true, because just listening to you talk, I was reflecting back on really what my first book experience was, and and it, and, and, and much like you, Morgan, um, I think it was in the fourth grade, and we read as a class where the red fern grows by Wilson Rawls. Oh, of course. Yeah. And Classic. I loved that book. It was the first time I really, I mean, he would read it, our, our teacher would read it chapter by chapter, and I mean, I was just really enthralled. I was really loving these dogs and this this experience. And at the end, we all wrote, he had us write to Wilson Rawls and Wilson Rawls wrote our class back and he gave us all an autograph. And I didn't know anything like that was even possible. (laughs) I consider that book was part of the curriculum Mm -hmm. and that he probably Mm -hmm. was getting thousands of classes Mm -hmm. writing him Mm -hmm. or maybe, or certainly reading the book where the Red Fern Grows Mm -hmm. was also Mm -hmm. read in my fourth grade year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know it well. I'm sure and there are I, a lot I, of listeners going, oh, yeah. <laughs> I still have that autograph, and it was my first autograph I ever got in my life. I didn't even know. Well, when we were writing him, I didn't even, even in my realm of possibility, my little tiny world at that time, my, you know, my nine-year-old world, nothing like that was even possible. And then for right. him to take that time to write back um, really, I, I think, affected me for the rest of my life. So there really are um, power in words and authors really do touch and affect people that they don't even know. I never met him. He probably never thought about us. I mean, he wrote us, you know, as a class collectively, and then he oh. did an autograph to 30 students or whatever. We all got one. Um, but, but, but his impact on that on, and, and how many other children did he do that for is such a fantastic legacy and gift that he might not even realize he has it. But that's what you guys have when, when you're authors. And it's more than just putting words out there. It's more than just um, putting a story to paper. It uh, it right. starts filling these little cracks and crevices of of um of people's lives in different ways. And, and it's you know, I'm, I'm going to go so far as to say if there are any fourth grade teachers out there that want to read our book to their class, <laughs> so we, <laughs> but we will send an autograph and probably call the police. <laughs> it's, it's an 18 or older book, you see. <laughs> well, what's next? But again, after... but again that's just okay. an example of that right. going out and making that personal connection beyond exactly. just by my book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, what's next after exposure? Does does exposure live on, or do you switch gears and do something else? Where, where do you go from here? Um, well, for NaNoWriMo, um, last year, as we're right in the middle of November, and for anyone who doesn't know, uh, NaNoWriMo stands for National Novel Writing Month. And thousands and thousands of authors in the month of November average uh, 1,500 words a day, and by the time they're done, they have about a 50,000-word uh, manuscript. Um, it's a little short, usually, for publication, but it's a great way to inspire yourself to start. Well, I did that last year. I had tried several times. In fact, um, 
I had tried with a really, really big novel uh, that involved multiple dimensions and multiple characters, and one of my friends said, no, 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 you need to write what you know. You need to be a lot simpler. And uh, I, uh, last year was the first time I had successfully actually written a book for NaNoWriMo, and I'm now in the process of editing that book. In fact, I, uh, as much as I love NaNoWriMo, the concept as an author, I don't think I'll do it again because it's taken me a year to edit a book that I wrote in a month, and usually I can write and edit a book in a year. So, so I, I think it's 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 taken a little bit longer because I was you know I was blowing through it, and I find a, as, I'm, as I'm editing it, I find a lot of faults with it. It's, oh, I really should have expanded this and expounded upon this. And so um, this year for National Novel Writing Month, uh, I'm actually writing a synopsis for the other thirty novels uh, that are only ideas in my head. And in order to clear my head of these 30 stories and titles and locations and characters dancing around, uh, I decided to put a spin on NaNoWriMo and use it as a writing exercise. And then I'm going to go back and finish editing, and it'll probably be the next one we submit. Um, it's, a, it's a ghost story called Connection. And it take, it's, it's, you think Sixth Sense. It's a human who can see ghosts. Um, but that's pretty much where the similarities end, <laughs> because uh, my main character, she meets and falls in love with, eh, love is a strong word, she meets and, and grows very fond of a ghost uh, on a subway in New York City on the Broadway line, the N train. And uh, I'm really excited for this book, because uh, when I was done writing it, I was crying like a baby. It really affected me as a writer. I was just... I was so emotionally invested in what was going on, and this is NaNoWriMo, too, and I was really blowing past all the really good stuff, but it really connected well. I was really excited, and so that's going to be the next book for me, a ghost story called Connection, and Jennifer is still writing, and I'll let her tell you what she's uh, about halfway through with. Well, I don't know if I'm quite halfway through. Maybe a third of the way through. Oh, that's going to be a long book. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an idea that kind of formed in my head probably two years ago now it's it's been and it's been waiting very patient for patiently for me to get to it but it's a, a story i'm calling constellation which it's it's a contemporary romance it's it's set in uh oregon in bend and it's uh basically an office romance but with a little bit of um a difference in that i i'm still figuring the two main characters out they're attracted to one another but they have a really difficult time um, connecting to each other and so it's been a bit of a challenge and my female lead is particularly stubborn about not wanting to share stuff so um, <laughs> but I can't quite let the idea go either and right. uh, but in the last I'd say month or two it's really started to um, evolve quite a bit so I'm really excited about yeah, she's, it. She's been writing a lot more than me lately. So interesting that even as the author, as as the writer, the, the 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 conduit to which the character is giving a voice to put pen to paper, your your character can still be stubborn and not forthcoming with the story. They're telling you yeah. the story at their at their pace. And when I started writing the story, I, I decided to write it from her point of view because initially she was the one that came out of the gate talking and then the more questions I asked then she kind of like quieted down and, and at first I really thought it was going to be a, a story kind of unfolding the mystery of the male lead character but now I think it's really much more of a story about un unfolding her mystery and through mm. her POV. I think it's also a good example of when you're writing a book, and uh, especially if you've never written before, it's hard to explain just how ornery characters that you invented can be. Which, as soon as you give them a body, <laughs> they just start doing their own thing, and it's hard to control them sometimes. And I've heard Jennifer complain about this from time to time with Constellation. Uh, my characters behave themselves very well in connection. Probably the first book I've ever written where the characters did what I wanted to and I didn't just have to hold on and go, all right, do what you want to do. I'll just follow you and record. <laughs> um, but that I think that's fascinating. And I never understood that when I heard writers talking about that. And the very, very first book I wrote, the second chapter in, my characters totally went AWOL on me and started doing their own thing. And I was just crap, I just buckled in, you know? Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's very easy to feel schizophrenic when you're an author and you <laughs> give in that you let your character because you're sitting there going, "God dang it!" You're just, uh, but you but you know. You know not to stop. It's like waking a sleepwalker. You know, it's like just let them wander. You know, and take the knife away, but let them otherwise do what they want to do. Uh, and but it, it's very freeing. I think sometimes uh, you can. I write a, a writing column. There's a great. There's a great uh, website called Bookish Temptations, and I for the last year, every Saturday, every first Saturday, I write an article about writing. Everything from how to be scary, how to be funny. Um, what is the difference between half of the grammatical errors that people are making? And you, you know, any, Anything over the last three years that you could think of to help you uh, kind of learn shortcuts and, and, uh, and also learn that shortcuts aren't necessarily shortcuts. You know, all that stuff comes in. And one of the funnest things I love to talk about is that idea that you're not always in control. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that's has to be one of the most um, shocking, I think, for people to be able to wrap their brain around um, that the that the characters actually have so much control over the the author than than, than people actually think. Yeah, well, at least for us, I, mm-hmm. I, I I was I was the reason I brought up the article. Actually, I just now finally remembered why I brought it up was that I, I found it hard. I was trying to encourage people to let this go. But at the same time, I have many times followed my characters down a path, and it was a dead end. And I was like, well, thanks for wasting my time. <laughs> but I'm glad I did it, you know, but, but I have to backtrack. I have to say, no, that wasn't really the right way to go. And it's just, you know, you can't pick up everything that glitters on the sidewalk on your way to work. Otherwise, you'd never mm. get there. But at the same time, if you don't pick up anything... And your pockets won't jingle. So, you know, you kind of have to feel your way. And I think every author has to discover that for themselves. I think uh, some people are going to be not comfortable one bit. As soon as that character starts doing their own, people are going to want to clamp down on it. And some authors are probably very successful at maintaining uh, Mm -hmm. a lot more control over their characters. Jennifer and I, because we're so new at it, uh, we just feel like it's one of the funnest, most interesting parts of it is to, to, to go, where, well, all right, well, I already had an idea in mind. If you've got a better one, let's go, honey. <laughs> you know, and see where they go. Well, the visual of that is actually very hilarious. These these kind of untamed, crazy characters running around like the inmates running the asylum, kind of. I mean, it's just yes. a very, very funny visual. <laughs> but so, um, in the meantime, Exposure is available, obviously, on Amazon. We talked about that earlier. It's on Barnes & Noble. And where else would you want people to go to to find it if, if they wanted to kind of go outside the, the normal well, Amazon um, channel? Since, we, since it was released and since we talked to you, we were very fortunate uh, that Simon & Schuster has become our distributor. And so uh, it's available on BAM. Uh, obviously, Simon and Schuster's website, OmniFix website. Where, where else, Jen? I would just—you can go to Simon and Schuster, and it has—if you look up the book on their website, then it has all the books, <gasps> yes. everything. Yes, that's exactly right. It, wh- whatever style, uh, uh, whatever conveyance that you like for your book, if you go to Simon and Schuster's website, they have all the links in that one spot. That's right. That's really helpful. It's very handy. Yes. Okay, uh, yeah, it's—it's it's, it's all over the place. And then we we have links up to your WordPress and your Facebook and your Twitter and all of that type of thing too, so that if if anyone links to use on social media, they can immediately link to a million ways to to oh, yeah. read the oh, yeah. book. And yeah, I we, really we have a Twitter account and a Facebook account, and Jennifer and I, we we run a blog called Big Spoon Little Spoon, and mostly that is us a way for us to stay connected. That again is not all about promoting the book. Uh, I like to do a monthly, well, semi-yearly <laughs> uh, post I call Pop Talk, where I basically review the last four or five albums that Jennifer let me get. And, and so, uh, you know, anything, you know, a- anything that strikes our fancy, just sort of this, uh, it's, I, I almost want to say it's like a journal, right, Jen? But We talk about the books we've read together. Yep. We, you talk about your music. Um, we do use it for book promotion, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, your wordslinger reposts there. Right. There's all kinds of stuff. Any of the blogs that have ever highlighted exposure have all been posted on there as well. So it's like this one hub where you could go. Like if, if, if I ever had to go look up a blog that 
did they do one on us or not? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I would go to my blog and just scroll down. Aren't mm -hmm. they all there? Most of them. Okay. Oh, <laughs> most of them. Jennifer's falling behind. <laughs> I got to get on that. <laughs> well, that leads me to I fell in love with you, Morgan. I fell in love with you, Morgan. This is a song <laughs> that Morgan, well, he's going to tell us about, but, but Morgan was a very experienced musician and he has CDs out and you can find him again on Amazon and iTunes as, um, as I did. And you can download his music. And before we go, we're going to play one of Morgan's songs and he's going to tell us about it because he has really some beautiful, beautiful music out there on top of um, all this writing ability that him and Jen do as well. Yeah, you know, well, Jennifer was my muse. I, I never wrote a poem in my life until like 1988, 1989 when we met and she became my girlfriend. I started writing songs. And uh, you, know, you fast forward 25 years and 600 songs later, I've got three or four different bands and um, five or six different albums out. That's true. But the, the song that you picked, um, which I didn't know until maybe about five minutes before this interview. Um, <laughs> Surprise. Um, I, I, it's a very interesting song with, with some interesting stories. Um, first of all, uh, it's on an album called Bella Parole, and Bella Parole is a companion to two works of fan fiction that I wrote, Brute Parole, uh, Bella Voce and Brute Parole. Uh, Bella Voce means beautiful voice uh, in Italian. Brute Parole means ugly words. And the album uh, uh, is called Bella Parole, uh, Beautiful Words. And... Uh, in the story, there, the main character is a musician. It's Twilight fan fiction. So Edward is a piano player in Paris in 1891. And um, in this story, it's actually Bella, who's the vampire. And he writes her a song. And uh, I, I decided to pick a real song that I had recorded and put the lyrics in. And I put the link for the song up. And it, I had so much fun and had such a good response that I decided to start writing original music for the next two years as I slowly wrote these two really, really big books. I wrote 10 or 11 songs, and um, some of them were produced with friends in Germany. There's a wonderful friend and musician named Betty Gefest. Gefest? Yeah, pretty sure that's it. Anyway, um, Betty wrote and recorded three songs with me. She duets with me, and it's just, just amazing. Also worked with a fella out of New Zealand, uh, and some of the work was done here locally with, uh, with a friend who does uh, musicals with me uh, in town. And when we were putting this album together, he wanted to string the songs together to make it one big, long listening experience, a la Pink Floyd. And he said to me, we were putting it all together, and he says, you know what, Morgan? He goes, the, the album's great. I really don't think there's a weak spot on it, but I don't think we have an opener. I, I think we need an opening song. I think all the songs feel like they need to be further into the album. We just need something to introduce people to the to you, to the album, to everything. I, I need something from you. Can you give me something? And so I just stood there in his studio, and I started singing a cappella, this song I had written for Jennifer maybe two years before for Valentine's Day. I just I wrote her a song. I sing most of my songs a cappella, which is also Italian for with my hat on. <laughs> Sorry, old joke. Anyway, so I, I sang this song for my friend Brian, he said, that's the one. That's it. He says, uh, he goes, hey, listen, let me record you and let me work on some guitar stuff, blah, 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 you know. And then I came, I went back to his house like a week later and he had put all the music together for the song. Uh, I had only ever heard the melody and the lyrics coming out of my mouth. And uh, he turned it into the album opener. And it, it was, it, it perfectly blended. In, right at the very, very end of the song, you'll hear birds chirping. It's actually the song, the next song that's kind of bleeding in. And uh, it, it was a great album opener. And it happens to be one of the most personal love songs I've ever written to Jennifer. Um, now, I think all love songs are personal, but sometimes they're vague. This song talks about uh, the fact that we had to write love notes and letters to each other. We didn't go to the same school, but we had a friend who would go to her school in the morning and then would do automotive stuff at my school in the afternoon. So for a year, Jennifer, we would charge you a quarter? Yeah, a quarter. Okay, TJ charged Jennifer a quarter to bring me a note. And so every day for a year, I got a note at lunchtime from, from Jennifer. And the next year, his schedule was flip-flopped. 
he was at my school and he charged me like a buck, like <laughs> way more. <laughs> so, he, so for another year, then Jennifer got notes from me. And so in this song, I talk about how I'm funny looking. I talk about the letters that we write to each other. And so in terms of details, this song is, is easily the most personable and personal song I've ever written. And so I, I'm glad that it got produced. Um, you know, I, I might have written 600 songs, but I think to, at, right now maybe only 75 or 80 of them have ever actually been produced, recorded, and found their way onto albums. And I'm, I'm really especially grateful for Brian. Um, his name is Brian Egan. He's the one that uh, produced most of this album, Brute Parole, and put it all together and did a great job. But he really pushed me to get a different song to start everything off and encouraged me when I sang this song to him, and I owe it to him that this song is now something that we can all listen to. Great. Well, Morgan and Jen, always a fantastic time when you guys come on. It's always a lot of fun. We're going to do it again when your new books come out. And um, I really encourage people to read Exposure because I really enjoyed that book. It was just a fan. I, I don't read angst. So um, this was just a really, I was right up my alley. It was romantic. It was some comedy. It was light. It was, you know, th there was enough drama in there to, you know, uh, keep me interested in what was going to happen. And I absolutely love that book. In fact, I bought it for my daughter and put it on her Kindle as well. So um, you're welcome back anytime. It's always a great time. And we are going to listen, Morgan, to you and the love song that you wrote for your bride, Jennifer. And this is I Fell in Love With You. I'll be right back. fell in love with you and my feet were still growing and my body wasn't slowing and I knew in that moment that I found my reason and I fell to my knees and I cried but do you know that it's only gotten better it's only gotten stronger still learning and the world was still turning in my head you didn't seem to mind that I had no money and I sang a little funny instead but do you know that it's only gotten better it's only gotten stronger each With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.